starting in verse number 5 of Ephesians chapter 6 here. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of your heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And ye masters, do the same things unto them for bearing threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven. Neither is there respect of persons with him. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come upon a portion of Scripture that's often stumbled over lord may may we not get stumbled over what not is what what is not mentioned but what is mentioned may we see what uh the spirit impressed upon paul to write down and may it be the focus of our hearts this morning we give thanks to you for all that you've done lord we thank you for the Witten place baptist church thank you for the fellowship yesterday and thank you for all those who've gathered here this morning to Feast upon your word. Our request is, is that you feed us this morning. We give thanks to you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. We have finally arrived in Ephesians back to where we started a year ago. So this will be our last sermon out of the book of Ephesians. Leading into this, or after this, Paul will begin to challenge the Ephesians to put on the whole armor of God again. But prior to challenging the Ephesians to put on the whole armor of God, Paul has one more matter, one more point he would like to deal with to the believers about their walk. In verse in chapters really 5 and 6, he's already brought us to the understanding that if you have Christ in you, what Christ has done to us in salvation will so change us in a manner that we will leave the old man and now this new man will be found singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. What we have in Christ and what Christ has done in us has now made us a light in a dark world. It even more says that in verses 5 and 6 that we have become wise in the manner in which we are now walking in. And over the last several weeks, Paul has said to become a, a bondservant. If you was to, the Bible says in Deuteronomy, I think it is, if you was to chip your tooth out, master to servant, it could cost you your life. You are not allowed to own them. The year of Jubilee and the 50 years, seven years of 50 years, if you owned a servant, they would be to, to be released and free. In the Old Testament, it was kind of presented in a manner that you could enter into someone's home and you could still own property, but while you're in their home, you would be learning a trade and then you would leave and use further on down the road. And really, it's a beautiful picture Slavery is a beautiful picture of who we are in Christ. 
Because it is the imagery, when we say that we are a bond service, that's where we get the word doulos that Paul uses in Philippians. It is a beautiful picture because when we say that we are Christ's servant, it means that we are totally relying upon our master for all of our supply. So it's a beautiful imagery here. But what Paul is addressing here in Ephesians is not uh, what is presented throughout Scripture. This is Gentile slavery. Under Roman authority, you had no rights at all as a slave. Under Roman authority, they could take your life and it did not even matter. When Paul addresses this section here in reaching the Ephesians who were experienced experiencing this slavery that was so brutal. He does not address the topic of slavery, but he instead addresses the topic of the one who is enslaved. He moves on from this not addressing whether it's right. Of course, slavery is not right. And not whether it's fair. Of course, slavery is not fair. It's not right. It's not fair. But he addresses the more important matter is that even when a person found themselves in slavery, Paul says the power and the impact of the gospel could make a person who was in an unfair situation, who was in a situation in which they were being forced to work for free, in a situation in which they were experiencing brutal treatment from their master. Paul says the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ could so impact the slave that they could be a light even in that dark situation. Now, that's hard for us to kind of wrap our minds around that Paul really here in this matter uh, addresses the conduct of the one who is enslaved versus the one who is enslaving them and argues that there should be freedom. But Paul says, until there is, what is more important is the conduct of a Christian. Now, we can take this from the Old Testament point of view of Joseph. He was shamefully treated, wrongfully in prison. He was not only lied to and lied upon, yet because Joseph had the right character, we read that there was no one in Egypt like Joseph. Even more, the gospel that affects us, Paul fleshes this out to the fullest extent. He says that the gospel that has saved us should be apparent and seen in every facet of our lives. How much more does it say that when Paul approaches this and he, and he takes us to the slave master, where is the applicability of this today for us? In a world that we praise that slavery is, well, in a country where slavery is not permitted. Where is the applicability of this text? Well, I think that it is impacted in us in the aspect of our jobs. How we conduct ourselves where we are employed. How do we conduct ourselves when we feel like our employer is not paying us enough? How do we conduct ourselves when we feel like our boss is not treating us fairly? How do we conduct ourselves when we feel that we are not being appreciated. Paul said, when it comes to the child of God, the true believer, there is no such thing as secular employment. 
It is all sacred employment by God. It is all, you are strategically in the place in which you can be used to bring God glory. I mean, if you want to talk about fleshing this out, Paul has really left us without excuse in any area of life. And we're reminded in this text about the accountability we have to another in this life. I hope you can see what he's been driving home in these last few chapters, that there is nothing in our life that is not touched by what Christ has done in our life. But here in this last few verses, he gives us four defining characteristics that our employers should see in us. He said, first off, when our employer sees us as an employee, one of the things that should first be noticed about us is that we do not struggle with obedience. He says, servants, be obedient to them that are your masters. He not only says that what should be seen as us is obedience, but he says there also should be a conduct with this obedience that we not only obedient to them, but we operate with fear and trembling. That we do this work consciously, that we do this work pleasantly. But first he gives a stated obedience. Servants, be obedient to your masters. It is a real simple statement that is given to us here. It is to say that it brings dishonor to the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, when you are disrespectful and disobedient at your job. It brings shame to the, to the name of Jesus Christ. The trait of a disobedience, it's not to be confused with godly character. Disobedience across the board, no matter what it is. Now, let me preface this, lest we go home and confused. They don't have the right to make us disobey scripture, right? But in the conduct of obedience at work, the status for us in the Christian life is that we are obedience. Now, he also kind of gives us, so to say, the status in which we should be obedient. The first is, it's a simple command. Servants, be obedient to them which are your masters. But what is the status? What is the condition, so to say, in which we are to be obedient? I mean, this doesn't mean that we have to be obedient all the time, does it? Well, he says here, servants, be obedient. This be obedient, the word be is in the present tense. What Paul is presenting to us when he says, servants, be obedient to your masters, is that the word be, since it's in the present tense, is that there is an uninterrupted, there is an uninterrupted time in which, um, there is not a time in which is, our obedience is interrupted. Is that our, our obedience is uninterrupted as we serve the master servants. Be obedient to your masters. If we don't like how they, in the day and age we live in, if we don't like how our boss treats us, we have a real simple answer. We can go and find another. We can go find another employment. We can go find someone else to answer to. But in the Roman world, there was no such thing as going and getting another job. When you were enslaved, you were enslaved. There was no fleeing the master. But this text is not about how in 
but this text is about how an unbeliever treats a believer. This is about how a believer treats an unbeliever so that Christ will be glorified. He says here, really, if your master treats you poorly, as a believer, you should just be obedient. If your master is handling things incorrectly, you should just be obedient. If you believe that your master is a hypocrite, then you should just be obedient. Now, this causes us to cringe inside a little bit. And we start to think, well, this is unfair. I mean, Paul, are you serious? I mean, you don't understand how hypocritical my masters, you don't understand how hypocritical my bosses. But listen how Paul puts this into a perspective. Paul's mind is always on home. So he says, servants, be obedient to them that are your masters. But then he goes on to say what? According to the flesh. Here Paul is uh, addressing how long we will have to endure this matter. He said you're going to be obedient according to the flesh. But the emphasis of according to the flesh is also the reminder that we won't always answer to them. That there will one day, and he'll remind them there in verse number 9, that one day both servant and master will answer to our master in heaven. None will be without escape. These verses, these chapters are all about our accountability before God in every position he allows us to be in. Yet he tells us that while the authority-submission relationship is important and it is to be respected according to the flesh reminds us that it is temporal. Well, he reminds us, he reminds them that this is according to the flesh. I don't know if you've ever done this at your job. I have done it, not here, but at uh, other employment that I found myself so miserable at my job that I longed for the day where I didn't have to work anymore. I long for the day where I didn't have to come in and experience uh, working for a boss who, so to say, uh, didn't like me. I long for the day where I wouldn't need money anymore. But Paul reminds us that even in this situation, and he's going to even further address this, that our conduct should be joyful. But the reminder shouldn't be about the day in which we retire and not have to work anymore. The reminder is, is that one day we won't even be here in the flesh no more. And we'll spend eternity with the Lord. The, the reminder is, is that there is a time attached to this command to submission. It won't always be like this. Even more, he says that, one day we'll be with the Lord forever, free from all of this. But even more, the, the employee who is found in an uninterrupted obedience, a place of obedience to the Lord, uh, to the employer, they should have the right attitude. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart as unto Christ. Now he calls us here to fear and trembling. This is the attitude that's called for us. Now, this is not to present us with the thought process that when we go to work and we find ourselves in the presence of a terrible boss, that we should literally be standing there shaking in our boots. 
but this is presenting us with a place of honor and respect. It actually, in the Greek, presents us with an anxious desire for obedience. Even more, notice the entirety of the verse. That he says, as unto Christ. That really makes sense of the entire verse as a whole. That we're to be obedient to them that are our masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and singleness of our heart as unto Christ. At the end of the day, we respect our boss who is, so to say, a real dirtbag, not because he's a dirtbag, but because we understand that the respect that we give him is the same respect that is called to as unto Christ. And at the end of the day, that we respect him because we recognize that he was placed in authority over us. All of this makes sense as unto Christ. In the end, you know, when we think about fear and trembling, we understand that one day we'll be in fear and trembling before the Lord. Not fear and trembling before man, but this is why Paul can use fear and trembling here because our stance before our boss is as unto the Lord. And so even more, he says, uh, as unto Christ. It's, it's for the Lord's sake. But as we serve our employer, we have to have the right commitment. We can't say, well, uh, I I'm going to do what my boss wants me to do. Uh, but I hope he knows that, you know, just because he has the right to tell me what to do doesn't mean that he has the right to tell me how fast I should go. You've seen that probably disrespectful attitude in the workplace. Like, well, you can tell me, but you can't tell me how fast. Paul says we ought to be so committed to the task that is laid before us. And, and where does he emphasize this? When he says, um, servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in singleness of your heart. What is being presented to them, remember, this is the application to the slave process that was being applied to in their day. But in the same play, in the same reality, we all have masters, right? And so it is to say in singleness of heart, it means that when we're assigned a task at work, it is to say that we shouldn't become disgruntled in our hearts saying, why in the world was I given this and he was given that? It is to say that when we're assigned a task, we should do it without complaining, without bragging, without criticizing other people, without being disruptive. It is to say that your job as a believer on the job is that when you are assigned a task, that it is with a singleness of heart, you should set out to do your best job for your employer to do this job, not according to bring glory to him, but because in the end, you're bringing glory to God so that your employer can see something unique about you. Now, I, I once worked in a, a union shop, and this is not to uh, bring condemnation upon union shops, but uh, the shop in which we worked, uh, people would sleep, people would party, people would drink, and in the end of it all, really, the company couldn't do nothing to them. They'd fire them, the union would fight, they'd be right back. And even more, this is, this is the image that a Christian should not project. They should see in us something different. We, 
We should do the work. I guess you could say, in singleness of heart, we should do every job assigned to us at our job as if the Lord assigned it to us. We should move ourselves in the same manner. We should conduct ourselves in the same way. But Paul goes on to say, not with thy service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. He says this service that we do should have the right motive. We should have the right motive as we work, not with thy service, not as men pleasers. I was once, when I was still managing at UDF, was sent to inspect the guys who was working on a shrink wrap machine. As I was walking out, um, the one guy had found himself. He was up inside of the tunnel, really just, I mean, he was sweating like crazy. Well, as I walked away from the job, I told him, hey, you're doing a good job. I didn't fully think about the other guy standing there. So when I arrived back in the shop, the guy who was standing there was furious. He was like, I just want you to know that the only reason you came out there and seen him working is because he seen you come in and took my tools from me. I did almost the entire job by myself. The other guy was laughing because it was true. But this is not how we should be in service to the Lord. We shouldn't uh, seek to do labor when our boss is looking down upon us. We shouldn't seek to do labor when it brings glory to our name. But it's the understanding, too, the, the old English proverb about people. While the cat's away, the mice will play. That English proverb should not apply to believers. We should find ourselves consistently accountable in working for those who have been put as masters over us. And in reality, too, that though the one who has assigned us to do this work with singleness of heart, we are never excused from his presence. There should be something unique about our service, but Paul doesn't leave it there, meaning that he doesn't just leave this dealing with the mindset of servants. In verse number 9, he says, dealing with the heart of the master, and ye masters... And do the same things unto them for bearing threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven. Neither is there respect of persons with him. He says the same respect, the same behavior that God expects from you as a servant, he also respects that same behavior from the master to the slave, from the employer to the employee. It is to say to the masters, if you expect a fair day's worth of work out of your employee, then God expects it's okay for the employee to expect a fair day's worth of pay from the employer. It is to say that if you want the employee to look out for the best interest of the company, then the company should look out for the best interest of the employee. You see, there's a mutual love and respect that's being taught here in this section. Unions would have never existed if employers would have just followed what Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9 offers to us. Masters, employers, he says, forbearing, threatening, meaning that, Love is the best way to 
grow a group of employees. It is to say, put away the whip and love the people that labor for you. Now, this is not a call for disregarding the law altogether. This is not a call for disregarding rules. During my time in management, I fired more people than I even want to think about. This is not to do away with the place of authority, but this is the manner in which you conduct that which you do. There is a godly way to let go of an employee, and there is an ungodly way to let go of an employee. There is a godly to, way to behave as an employee, and there is an ungodly way to behave as an employee. Knowing that your master here, he says, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. Paul, speaking to the masters, has a closing thought. He said, God is not respect, God does not, uh, God is not impressed with a person's position. When he looks down from heaven, he doesn't say, oh, this brother right here, oh, look at him. He, he, he's the manager of the entire department. Oh, look at this brother. He, uh, he owns an entire company. Wow, look at this brother. He, he's made millions. When God looks down upon us it's not respect about our position it's respect about how we handled ourselves in that position that's what God's looking upon so it doesn't matter really to bring it all to a close in chapters 5 and 6 it's not about our title on earth child husband wife master servant Paul doesn't care about that he, he cares about how we conduct ourselves in those situations he says the love of Christ that we have experienced is greater than any of the inconveniences or the disparages that we can experience in life and in ministry there was a criminal that broke into this house and when he was looting through the house, he was filling up his sack. And as he was filling up his sack, he heard out of the sound of the silence, someone say, Jesus sees you. It caused the man to panic and he froze there as he was holding his bag. And then he heard it again. Jesus is watching. He turns his flashlight and he's shining it around and there in the top of the corner in the room was a parrot sitting on the top of the curtain shade and said, Jesus is watching. The criminal started laughing and he said, well, I don't believe in Jesus. Is your name Jesus? The parrot responded. He said, no, my name is Moses. Uh, the criminal went back to stealing, and as he was back to stealing, he heard a shuffle in the house and a knocking over of an end table. As he turned around, he was petrified to see this big old Rottweiler in front of him. And then the parrot cried out, Jesus is here. <sighs> Chapters 5 and 6 is really to bring the believer back to the place to say, the one who gave you your wife, the one who gave you your husband, the one who gave you parents, the one who allowed you to have the ability to work in the workforce, the one who gave you the ability to socialize in the community in which you live or wherever you are, the one who gave you all of those things. Paul brings us back to the place to say, listen, Jesus is watching. He's watching. 
he, he sees how you behave. And Paul's desire is that in all that we do, we bring glory unto the Lord. That's it. That's really what this Christian life is all about. I mean, he is literally in these four, five, and six dissected every aspect of the believer's walk. And now, as we covered in the beginning in chapter 6 and verses 10 through on, Paul brings us back to the place where he says, now this walk that you've been called to walk, it's not an easy walk. It's not easy to love your wives as Christ loved the church. It's not easy to love your husbands as you're called to. It's not easy to submit. We talked about that in Sunday school this morning. It's not easy to always do those things. It's not easy to submit and be respectful to your employer, especially when he's disrespectful. But just because they fail doesn't mean it gives us the right to fail. Paul calls us to be who exactly who we're supposed to be as unto Christ. All of this is as unto Christ. And when we can get that in our minds and in our hearts and rooted into that, we will be the best husbands. We will be the best wives. We will be the best neighbors. We will be the best employees. We will be the best employers. And we will stand out in this world who has dedicated their lives to figuring out how to take advantage of someone else. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time that we, we've been given here in Ephesians. Uh, Sad to see it come to an end, Lord, but I pray that you'll guide us on the next book that you'll uh, have for us to study as a church, to learn and glean from. But Lord, may we take all of these things that we've learned and gleaned from and, uh, and apply it to our lives, Lord. Lord, may, may they know, may our testimonies of how we behave in the workforce cause other people to question what we have going in our lives. May our husbands and our wives see, our spouses see, who we are in Christ. Lord, I pray that our lives will be the light that you've called it to be. Lord, we give thanks to you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.